There are now Strong Opinion Sports sweatshirts for sale. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's also now a permanent Strong Opinion Sports store. And to celebrate the opening of the store, I'm starting it with a sale. Currently, there are four items for sale, a pullover hoodie, a zip-up hoodie, a performance t-shirt, and a premium cotton t-shirt. All four are for sale at a reduced price right now. If you order by December 1st, everything is cheaper and everything is guaranteed to ship to you by Christmas. The pullover hoodie is $35 on sale. At the end of the month, when the sale ends, it will be $40. The zip-up hoodie is $40 now. When the sale ends, it will be $45. The performance-style t-shirt is $25 now. After December 1st, it will be $30. And the premium cotton blend t-shirt is $20 on sale right now. And after the sale, it will be $25. Again, everything is on sale now until the end of November. And if you order by December 1st, I can guarantee you will get your stuff by Christmas. Follow the link in the description or go to shirtsforyourpeople.com and find the Strong Opinion Sports tab. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 308. Uh, it's Wednesday for me. Knowing how long it's going to take to edit and upload, and YouTube has been really, really slow recently. Uh, I might get out to podcast platform sooner, but I also don't like having it out earlier on iTunes. It feels weird and wrong. It's probably Thanksgiving for you. So happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, today we're going to talk about Joe Burrow. We're going to talk about Taysom Hill, PJ Walker, BYU football, Justin Fields. A lot of good stuff. Uh, and again, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're doing very, very well. And uh, I really appreciate you tuning in. I want to just jump in today. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow uh, got hurt. He tore multiple ligaments in his knee. He's out for the year. Some say it could be actually up to 12 months before he's back playing football again. That's a brutally long time. It could be well into next year before Joe Burrow is cleared to play football. Um, and I... I, my initial reaction to all that news is just sadness. It's just horrible. It's not good. Uh, it's not fun. Joe Burrow is one of my favorite players in the NFL. I mean, I feel like I say that to every quarterback, but I, I really have a great respect and reverence for Joe Burrow because of who he is. He's a guy who understands I can master every little thing I can control, and if I pay super attention to detail and work my tail off, I can be a great quarterback. He did that at LSU. He's done that at Cincinnati in Cincinnati with the Bengals. I really have a great respect and love for Joe Burrow. Uh, and seeing him get hurt and be out for so long, it, it's miserable. It's sad. I also feel sad for the city of Cincinnati. You know, it's one of my favorite places in America. I love the city. I feel very sad for Bengals fans. In fact, someday, uh, I'm sure they don't want me there because they hate me talking about their football team. Um, but I'd love to live in Cincinnati. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place. I, I really, truly... Um, it's one of my favorite places in America. It's just a, it's a lovely place. Now, also with Joe Burrow hurt, it's worth noting that more than likely that means that, I mean, Justin Herbert was probably already going to win the rookie of the year anyway. He's now all but guaranteed to win the NFL rookie of the year because Joe Burrow was kind of the only person really realistically challenging Justin Herbert. Now it's all Justin Herbert's to win unless something crazy happens there. Now there are two kind of bizarre benefits to Joe Burrow getting hurt. I'm trying to look at things from a light perspective uh, before we take a turn and probably go into a dark area that Bengals fans don't really want to talk about. Uh, number one, though, 
the Bengals without Joe Burrow have almost no shot to win any more games the rest of the year. And so they're going to have a high draft pick once again, meaning, hey, they get to have, you know, bring in, draft somebody who can help Joe Burrow win games in the future. That's great. Okay, so having another high draft pick, the higher the draft pick, the better it is for your franchise. Really, frankly, the better it is for Joe Burrow. Now, also, there's something to be said for watching another person run your offense. So Joe Burrow is sidelined for quite a while. And I think the best way to learn is to be taking reps and to be the starting quarterback and to get playing time. I think that there's nothing quite like doing it and learning that way. But there also is there's a weird thing in football uh, that I, I it helped me in my career. Watching somebody else run your playbook, run your plays, run your system. It, it does, it's a different perspective and it can help you. you. You work as, you know, Joe Burrow's job in the next, I guess, the final six weeks of the year uh, through week 17, he's got to rehab, you know, work on that knee, rest, recover, but he's also going to be working as an analyst, really to some degree, taking notes, preparing, studying, watching the backup quarterbacks make mistakes and do good stuff and what works and what doesn't. And I don't think it's the end of the world for Joe Burrow to sit and learn and have a different perspective on the game for the final six weeks of the year and maybe a little bit of next year and see, hey, I'm watching this guy make this bad mistake and this bad mistake and this bad mistake. I know it's going to eat at Joe Burrow. He's going to want to be like, man, I can do so much better than that guy. Please give me the ball. And I think it's actually going to be good for Joe Burrow to sit and watch. Now, moving forward. Oh, my gosh. Please, please, please. I've been begging for this since week one. Uh, the Bengals need to get Joe Burrow some more help. Please, I am begging you. In 2020, he got the tar beat out of him. This year, uh, the Bengals' offensive line was awful. He got beat to shreds, uh, running for his life at times. There were times where Joe Burrow would catch the snap and look around, and there's literally no chance he would get sacked so quickly or have pressure so immediately, or it would be such a good blitz, you literally couldn't do anything. So, I, the Bengals need to spend money to help Joe Burrow win games and build a team around him. Here's the sad reality. I don't think they will. I I do not believe, I do not have confidence that the Bengals are going to spend a lot of money to build a Super Bowl team around Joe Burrow. To build a great roster takes, it takes money and you have to spend and you have to invest in your culture. And the Bengals ownership, if you watch the Bengals ownership over the years, they always spend just enough money for people in Cincinnati to be excited about their team, to you know, to to make enough money, yeah, they really spend enough money to excite fans and to sell tickets, right? People in the Cincinnati area go, "Ooh, shiny new object, a new quarterback. We have AJ Green." That Cincinnati builds their team just enough to sell tickets and and make people excited, and Bengals fans fall for it over and over and over again, and, and for whatever reason. Bengals fans don't hold their ownership accountable. They don't say, hey, ownership, you're, you're stringing us along once again. How about you actually go get help? Go sign free agents. Go make bigger moves. They signed like one corner from the Vikings. People are like, oh, what a, what a big move. We're spending so much money. Expectations are at the bottom in Cincinnati. Any free agent signing is like, yeah, the biggest thing ever. And I, I, I wish that Bengals fans would hold their team to a higher level of accountability. Have higher standards. Are you not sick and tired of getting the tar beat out of you over and over and over again? I just I don't understand it. Um, and then here's the part I, I really, really hate to say next. Joe Burrow, 
chose to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. You can disagree with me. People will. People say, well, uh, the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow. He had no choice to go there. Not really, no. Joe Burrow could have still said no. Uh, Eli Manning once said no to the the former San Diego Chargers, now the L.A. Chargers. John Elway was drafted by the Baltimore Colts, and he refused to play for them. John Elway forced the Colts to trade him away. So Joe Burrow had options. I mean, to do what he would have had to do not play in Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati would have fought him really hard, and Joe Burrow would have had to had some outside-the-box thinking. And also, here's the, the, the brutal truth, is that Joe Burrow would have had to push back against the area he's from. He's from Athens, Ohio. It's where he grew up. Uh, Cincinnati is not really close, but it's in, it's in the same state. He would have had to push it back against his home state. And the thing that people always forget is that Joe Burrow had options. He's an amazing quarterback. He had leverage. I mean, Joe Burrow, you're one of the hottest commodities in the entire NFL. You get what you want. But Joe Burrow did not put up a fight. He chose to go back to his home state and play football. Admirable to some degree, also somewhat stupid. I, I hate to say that, plainly as it is, um, but playing for the Bengals is not really good for anybody. I don't know why. I, I want to read a quote from my dad. My dad said this. He said, It's unwise to join a crappy organization and expect great results. Crappy organizations produce crappy results. And, and think about the history of the Bengals. They failed to properly support Carson Palmer. Uh, in fact, the owner in Cincinnati painted Carson Palmer as a villain rather than saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we just – Carson Palmer was furious with the Bengals. He got tired. He asked for a trade. He wouldn't play for them because he wanted to actually have a chance to win a Super Bowl. He wanted to build a team, and the Bengals' ownership wouldn't spend the money he required. And to this day, Carson Palmer is not remembered the way he should be. He was an amazing quarterback who deserves respect, and yet some people – Man, they they hear Carson Palmer like he was never any good. It's really crazy, especially in Cincinnati. You know, Carson Palmer's kind of like the whistleblower. He said, hey, uh, there's this problem. Can we fix it? And Cincinnati said, how dare you point out our problem? No, no. It's like, well, you have to kind of, how else can you impact and, and bring about change if you don't point out flaws? I don't understand. So Joe Burrow joined the Bengals, a crappy organization. And by the way, rumors are swirling right now uh, about the terrible culture in the building with the Cincinnati Bengals. And by the way, Cincinnati people out there, I I love you. I love your city. The Bengals are not a reflection of you in any way other than the fact that you guys don't hold your ownership accountable. But, I mean, I I understand, like, what else are you going to – like, I I get that there's no other football team coming to your city. You have to support what you have. I understand the mindset. But it's sad because Cincinnati's a great place and Joe Burrow's this awesome quarterback. The problem in Cincinnati is not the fans necessarily, other than I wish they would put more pressure on ownership. But the problem in Cincinnati really is the ownership. It's not, it's not the fans' fault. It's not Joe Burrow's fault. The problem is ownership. They're not, they, for whatever reason, they won't really hire an actual general manager. They got Duke Tobin, who's your director of player personnel. It's, it's stupid nonsense. The ownership has a hand way too far into the cookie jar. And the sad reality is that I believe Joe Burrow getting hurt is likely only the beginning of his struggles with the Bengals. He's going to have to endure the Bengals for 
his entire career unless he, you know, forces them to trade him or he'll probably sign another contract. Uh, and as long as Joe Burrow is on the Bengals, he's never going to meet the full potential of his career. It's sad. I don't like saying that. I hate that. I, I love Joe Burrow. I love Cincinnati. I have a deep, deep frustration and hatred for the Cincinnati Bengals ownership. Nobody calls him out for it. Nobody in Cincinnati, it seems like. All the fans are like, there, there's this mindless sheep going, oh, well, it's our team. We have to support our team. No, you don't. <laughs> you have to push back against people that are doing the wrong thing. And I, I don't know how you can look at Cincinnati and go, yeah, they're really supporting Joe Burrow. His offensive line is awful. He got the tar beat out of him over and over again. Um, and it's it's just sad for me because unless the Bengals' ownership tr- changes or Joe Burrow gets traded away, then Joe Burrow's, again, never going to meet the full potential of his career. It's sad. It's unfortunate. I don't like it. Uh, but the Bengals are always going to be holding Joe Burrow back until their ownership changes. And this injury... It's sad. I mean, it's all just sad, but it's a symptom. It's not just a sad thing. People are acting like the injury, it's something we could have never avoided, and it's unfortunate, but you also, you could have avoided your quarterback getting the tar beat out of him over and over again. You just refused to give him the support he needed, and I, I, I just, Joe Burrow getting hurt is a sad symptom of bad ownership, and I, I don't know how else you can look at it any other way. Uh, it's just very unfortunate. I love Joe Burrow, and the Bengals are not properly supporting him. Okay, let's jump in. Here's the headline. I want I want to yeah, I want to The headline here is that the University of Washington offered to play a game against BYU. You know, because the rivalry game between Washington and Washington State was canceled due to COVID. And so UW Washington said, "Hey BYU, want to play us? Like we're we're free. We got a free weekend." And BYU said no. And the result of BYU saying no, BYU turning down the game, oh boy, uh, it caused all kinds of hilariously compelling drama. It's one of my, this BYU-Washington game is one of my favorite probably storylines and occurrences in all of football all year. It's, It's really the outpouring of anger and frustration and conspiracy theories on Twitter and in articles and in fan messages to me are are really kind of crazy. And so now I want to be as fair as I possibly can be. I don't have, I'm I'm not, I don't really care about Washington. I don't really care about BYU. It's just, I'm an outside perspective observing and having a lot of fun doing it. Um, Now it makes sense why BYU said no, because Pac-12 protocol is that BYU can play UW as long as there isn't another Pac-12 school available to play that day. So basically, UW said, hey, want to schedule a game against us? Oh, except by the way, we can pull out at any time and there's nothing you can do. So UW really wouldn't actually give a true commitment to the BYU game because, uh, you know, BYU wanted a real commitment. And the reality is that this weekend, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, UW is actually playing Utah instead of BYU. And it it never would have been BYU because in the reality, in the end of the day, is Utah was available because their game against Arizona State was canceled. And because Utah is a Pac-12 school, the University of Utah, they are always going to get priority over BYU. If, if you, Utah has nobody to play and UW is playing BYU, who's not, and BYU not being a Pac-12 school, the Pac-12 is going to step in and say, hey, UW, we have a rule. You got to play Utah. You can't be playing BYU. 
when another opponent is available in our conference because they have to look after their own. It makes sense to me why the Pac-12 has this rule. The Pac-12 has to take care of their own team and make sure they secure revenue. But it's also unfortunate. And so I want to point out, I don't want to, for the sake of fairness, I want to point out that even if BYU had said yes to this game, they would have been left in the dust anyway. This game would have never happened because the Pac-12 would have made UW play Utah instead regardless. We all caught up because, again, the Pac-12 has to look after their own and secure them revenue. Here's the problem with everything I just said. Nobody is going to do the research I did to figure out what I just said. Nobody is going to do the nuance, understand the nuance of the situation. Because humans love drama. And humans don't want to, humans don't want to do research. Humans love to read headlines and go, Oh, boy, can you believe X or believe Y or Z? People love looking, reading headlines, and people hate doing research. It's, it's just what I have found in my – I am not that old, but and what I found in America, we hate doing that kind of stuff. And it's way more fun. Let's be honest, too. We love a conspiracy. We love to believe stuff, and it's way more fun to believe that BYU is scared to play UW. And because that's more fun, that's what people are going to believe. It's easier. It's more fun. So – their narrative has become BYU was scared to play UW. Bam. Really, really fun. Now, the reality is BYU didn't want to get dragged around and not have a commitment, but I understand. Um, and uh, if you're BYU, you have to say yes to any game you're offered because it's terrible optics to say no. Here's the reality. I understand why BYU said no. They weren't getting a real commitment. But if BYU schedules a game against Washington – and then Washington pulls out and says, we can't play the game. The Pac-12 won't let us. Then what does BYU become? BYU becomes a victim. BYU becomes the victim of the stupid Pac-12 bureaucracy. Bam. Totally. But by saying no, by rejecting the game flat out, BYU looks scared and weak. It's, it's delightfully juicy, really. Uh, there's a lot of drama here. But again, BYU has to understand. They have this tagline they've said all year. Any team, any time, any place. BYU's quarterback, Zach Wilson, literally wears it on his headband. The problem with that tagline is that you have to live up to it. You you have to, if you're going to say that, you have to actually follow through. If you don't, you're not really living up to your core ethos. Saying you'll play any team, any time, any place. The problem with that slogan is, again, you have to live up to it. BYU's 9-0. And they're an undefeated team trying to make it into the college football playoff. Whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, doesn't matter. By saying no to a game against Washington, BYU has cost themselves credibility. It's not comfortable. It's just true. So whoever, whatever person decided that they were going to say no to the game against Washington. Whatever person at BYU, whoever made that decision at BYU, they made a mistake. Because BYU is a non-conference school. They're 9-0, but here's their schedule. They played Troy, Navy, Louisiana Tech, Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, and Northern Alabama. They're 9-0. They're going to play San Diego State later this year. They're 9-0. They're, they're undefeated. Ooh, but they've played nobody. They haven't played anybody that college football really respects. They haven't played a single. Is there, there's not even a single Power 5 school on that list. Boise State's the biggest school they've played this year. 
maybe one of the Navy, maybe Navy is question mark. I don't even know. But my point is there's not a single team on that list I just said that anybody respects in college football from a college football playoff perspective. So the college football playoff selection committee, they don't respect BYU. They didn't anyway, but by saying no, here's how BYU showed a lack of self-awareness. Because their attitude, BYU's attitude needs to be one of desperation. Eager to play any opponent made available to them. Uh, This year has been really kind of obviously... uh, it's gone through a lot. BYU's gone through a lot of turmoil because of COVID. I mean, scheduling has been a nightmare because all the conferences basically shut down and said we're only scheduling conference games. If we're not scheduling, if you're not in our conference, we're not going to play you. BYU half their schedule got erased. They had to scramble to re, you know, reschedule new games. And BYU couldn't really get any big games. The Big Ten is playing only conference games. The Back Twelve only playing conference games. It's just it's kind of a nightmare. And. If you get a chance, you have to take it because if you're a small school that nobody respects and doesn't want there anyway, any chance you get to play a big school, you have to pounce at the opportunity. Remember, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee excluded the 12-0 2017 UCF football team because they didn't respect their schedule. And the problem is the committee has now found a justifiable reason to exclude BYU this year. The selection committee can say, look, guys, BYU, they didn't play anybody big, and even when they were given an opportunity to, big teams were offered those games, and they wouldn't even take it. That's unfortunate, but that's how they're going to look at it. They'll say, BYU wouldn't even play unranked University of Washington. They're uh, 2-0. They played Oregon State and... Gosh, some, uh, and Arizona, both teams are 0-2. So Oregon, Washington, University of Washington's not an impressive team. You wouldn't even play them? But you want to play Alabama? Are you crazy, BYU? That's how the college football selection committee is going to look at it. And so by turning down a game against Washington, BYU cost themselves any tiny little sliver of hope they had at the college football playoff. Now, they didn't really have a shot to begin with. Uh, the entire time they were going to get excluded, college football was going to look for a way to keep them out of that playoff game. Um, but now they won't. Now they don't even have to look because BYU justified their exclusion by saying no to University of Washington. A lot of people said that the reason why this game was even offered because it was a game that was never actually going to happen based on the Pac-12 rules. People are saying the Pac-12 released it simply because they don't like seeing... Uh, BYU ahead of Oregon or USC. People are saying it was done. Like a conspiracy here is that people are just trying to make BYU look bad. It's possible, but it doesn't matter because the optics are terrible. And by saying no, they cost themselves any sliver of hope they had. Their reputation is tarnished and they didn't live up to their their motto. Any team, any time, any place. And uh, as a result of saying no, BYU really, really hurt their chances uh, and, and is going to cause them to be excluded for sure, 100% from the college football playoff. Okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Ohio State, Indiana. Uh, We'll talk about Justin Fields. We'll talk about P.J. Walker, Taysom Hill. Uh, We'll end the show with Anthony Edwards and Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, Let's jump in. Let's talk about college football. 
On Saturday, Ohio State beat Indiana 42-35. to And it was a really fun game, actually. It's kind of the first time all year I've seen a team truly challenge Ohio State. Now, at one point, I want to be clear, Ohio State was up 35-7. to And you go, well, how can you talk about Ohio State being challenged uh, when they were up by 28 points at one point? But I got to be clear, I mean, Indiana came back. They were, with 10 minutes left in the game, this was a one-score game. Indiana made it 42-35. to Indiana actually had the ball down seven with a chance to tie the game uh, with four minutes and 39 seconds left. I mean, to me, the fact that Indiana was able to put pressure on Ohio State at all, that left me walking away with respect for Indiana. Walking away with respect for Tom Allen, their head coach, uh, shout out to their defense. Shout out to Michael Penix, their quarterback. Uh, in fact, I think Michael Penix even might have played a better game than Justin Fields, who's likely going to be a top two pick in the NFL draft. So I walked away very, very impressed with Indiana. Um, I think kind of the reason why they lost is because Indiana's defense was unable to capitalize on any of their turnovers. I mean, Indiana had zero points off of turnovers. But to me, Indiana proved their legitimacy in this game. I said that how they did against Ohio State, it didn't matter whether they won. They just needed to be competitive, and they were. Oh, my gosh. They put pressure on Ohio State. I walked away. Indiana, well done. A lot of respect for them. And looking ahead, I mean, Indiana plays Maryland, Wisconsin, then Purdue. So it's possible that Indiana only wins or only loses, excuse me, only loses one game all year. I mean, I think... I think Maryland and Wisconsin, they're tougher wins than people realize. Um, But it's possible that uh, Indiana only loses this one game all year against Ohio State. Now, again, Indiana really challenged Ohio State. In particular, Indiana really challenged Ohio State's quarterback, Justin Fields. Uh, It was easily, by a lot, the worst game Justin Fields has played all year. It was not pretty. It was not good. And uh, from an NFL perspective, this game gave me pause. I looked at this game and went, oh, what do we do now? Like, what? how do we, what? It was so disappointing and weird. Um, Justin is a junior, and I don't want to, I don't want to watch one game and panic, but I, I do, I will say that what we saw, I'm going to talk about the mistakes he made later, but I'll, I'll just ramble off a couple. I mean, he had a play where, he had multiple plays where he handled blitzes very poorly. He was trying to run away from blitzes rather than beat them throwing. Uh, he made bad mistakes where he's getting sacked. He threw interceptions. He didn't make easy reads. He made a lot of mistakes. And so because Justin is a junior, he can either go to the NFL after this year or he can stay in college. Um, and this game, in my opinion, hurt Justin Fields' draft stock. I look at this game and go, yeah, he's not going to overtake Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's just not going to happen now. Uh, because the habits he showed are going to scare people away. And Justin can go to the NFL after this year, but he'll be the number two quarterback in the NFL draft. I mean, that's not bad. It's really good for business. He'll be rich. Um, and I think the best business move he can make is to go to the NFL as soon as possible. Totally, 100%. But this game made me wonder if, forget the money, I, I wonder now, is it not best for Justin Fields' development as a quarterback? You know, forget the business side. Let's look at the artistic side. Because uh, maybe craft is a better way to put it. To stay another year in college and perfect his craft as a quarterback, I think that would really help Justin Fields. 
Um, there's again, there's business and then there's craft. And most of the time, the business side does not necessarily work alongside with the craft side of things where uh, craft is con- you know, constantly improving and seeking perfection. And it's, it's slightly more artistic. You're trying to develop your skills and develop who you are. Whereas the business side says, go get money and as much money as soon as possible. And in the artistic world, I mean, whether you're making movies or a YouTube channel or a podcast or um, anything where you're developing skills like that, that battle's kind of fought every day between, you know, do you throw down, I guess, like, even in my field, here's how I would say, you, you can either throw out a hot take or you can do a lot of research and go, hmm, based on my research, here's what I find. And usually a hot take makes way more money than a more researched opinion because, it's more inflammatory. It's more clickbaity. It comes out faster. People don't really kind of appreciate research as much as I wish they did, honestly. Um, and I, I know that, again, I guess my point here is that Justin Fields can go to the NFL as soon as possible. He probably should. And he probably will. And it, it'll be fine. Um, but it might be better for his craft long term if he stayed in college and made sure he doesn't have a game like this where he's really perfected everything. You never can have a perfect game. Uh, and I thought Justin Fields did well, kind of not not really actually. I, there was never a moment where I'm like, oh yeah, Justin Fields learned from his mistake and bounced back. It was just a, it was some good, some bad. And against Indiana, Justin Fields was 18 for 30 for 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, but three interceptions. Just he throughout the entire game, he kept making mistake after mistake, and there was never a turning point where things got better. And so. The problems really extended beyond Justin Fields' interceptions. He had – let's go through his, his three interceptions first. Number one was a seam ball down the left side, uh, down the left side, kind of left middle, where the defense ran cover three. So there's two guys uh, vertical deep on the outside and one guy deep in the middle, a deep middle safety. And Justin tried to move that safety to the right and then throw back to the left, but the ball was late. He left it too far inside down the seam, which is like the hash mark basically. And um, Justin, the ball was intercepted. He didn't do the good enough job moving the safety. He was late. The ball was too far inside. Bam, interception. Not a good way to start the game. Now, his other two interceptions were both on broken plays where he was getting sacked. Pressure was closing in. And he forced the ball into coverage. One literally, as he was literally falling backwards and just kind of threw the ball up in the air in the middle of the field. Not a good decision. A really dangerous throw. And it cost him. I mean... Instead of throwing the ball away or just eating it and taking the sack, he forced the throw into coverage, and bam, got two interceptions that exact way. Now, he also had a play where he passed up a wide-open spot route on the left side. He's looking left. Hey, spot route flashes wide open, and instead, he forced the throw to a corner ball incomplete. It's like, Justin, take the easy throw. And there was no wind or snow. There was no rain. Justin was just not executing at a high level. He was not showing any patience. He wasn't doing what he's done all year. I don't know if it was the moment. I don't know what happened, but Justin was just not his normal self. I also saw another alarming problem where and we've seen hints of this all year, but it really showed up big against Indiana where Justin wasn't beating blitzes with his arm. So a blitz, uh, most people know it's when a defense brings extra defenders after the quarterback and says, we're going to bring six or seven people after you to try to take you down and get a sack. And quarterbacks need to anticipate blitzes and throw to soft spots. If they're bringing six people 
after the quarterback, there's fewer people in coverage. There's a soft spot in the defense. Find the weakness, throw the ball there. If it's man coverage, we love that. Beat the blitz, beat the blitz with a man beater, make a great throw. Or if it's a zone blitz, find the weakness in the zone coverage. There's someone open, bam. And Justin was not anticipating the blitz. Your job as a quarterback is to always understand when a blitz is coming and where it's coming from. But he wasn't anticipating it. He wasn't predetermining where it's coming from or seeing, hey, it's coming now. I got to get rid of the ball. There was no thought process like that. Justin was just reacting to it after the fact, trying to run away from defenders, really, instead of throwing the ball and beating them. It's very ineffective. In the NFL, you have to beat a blitz throwing the football. You're not going to beat a blitz running away because in the NFL, athletes are even better. You're not going to bounce off a tackle. Justin Field gets away with a lot of stuff in the Big Ten because he's just a better athlete. He's still going to be a better athlete than a lot of people in the NFL too, but not to the same degree he is in the NFL. And if a guy comes free, you have to beat the blitz with a throw. Don't try to make the guy miss and run around. He had a good touchdown run in the same way. I mean, not saying he doesn't have a great ability to run. But what I'm saying is in the NFL, he's got to figure out how to beat the blitz with a throw. There's a play where Justin had a shallow crosser wide open over the middle. I'm like screaming at my TV, dude, throw the ball. And later watching film, I'm watching it back again going, Justin, throw the ball. I'm screaming at my, tel- at my computer monitor going, Justin, throw the ball. It's wide open over the middle. Instead, he tries to reverse pivot, get away, takes a sack. It's like, man. And from an NFL perspective, Seeing a guy who's not comfortable beating a blitz with a throw, it's a very, very alarming thing to see. And so, Justin Fields is really bad in this game against Indiana. Ohio State did not win because of him. Ohio State won because they got a good defense, they ran the ball really well. And Indiana, you know, luckily for Ohio State, Indiana did not have any points off of turnovers, which is kind of crazy. That's not what Indiana's done all year. So, I also think it's worth noting that Indiana put good stuff on film. Um, looking ahead at what Ohio State's going to have the rest of this year, it's going to help teams down the road when they play Ohio State, whether it's in the college football playoff or in the Big Ten championship. Indiana put some concerning stuff that Justin Fields struggles with, a delayed blitz, a six-man blitz, blitzes up the middle, where we're going to see teams try to do the same thing Indiana did to Justin Fields, and it might work. I mean, we, again, we saw an alarming weakness with Ohio State. I think other teams are going to see that and do that as much as they possibly can and try to keep putting pressure on the weakness of Ohio State. So I got a lot of respect for Indiana. I walked away going, man, Indiana fought hard. They played well. They made Justin Fields look bad. That's not an easy accomplishment. So shout out to Ohio State, or shout out to Indiana. Ohio State, um, like, I'm not trying to, I think I've been too negative on Justin Fields you guys know, I love Justin Fields. He's phenomenal. But that was not a good performance. I don't know, I, I don't know how many people watched the game. Uh, if you watch that game, you know. it's There were play after play after play where I'm like, that's bad. I mean, he made more mistakes in one game than he maybe made all year last year. It's like, well, what caused this kid to fall apart in this game? I don't understand. And I, again, Justin Fields was not the reason why they won. They got lucky to win. They kind of got away with one. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think Justin Fields, he's still probably a number two quarterback taken in, in the NFL draft. He's not going to challenge uh, Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, because that's just too scary. Like, people are going to go, ah, that's scary. I don't like what I saw. And people think, you know, you can think, 
I can teach them how to do X, Y, Z, but you would think they're having all those conversations at Ohio State, too. They're teaching them, hey, beat the blitz with a throw. Uh, you got to you know, throw the ball away. Don't take a sack. Take a sack or throw the ball away. Don't force it into coverage if you're having pressure. They're little. They're having these conversations. It's just they're not working for Justin Fields. I don't know. Either this game is going to be really good for Justin Fields where he's exposed a little bit, he feels a weakness, and he leans into it, he works even harder, and he comes back stronger because adversity makes you stronger or weaker. I think it's possible this game makes Justin Fields better. But he's got to learn from his mistakes. If he doesn't learn from his mistakes, Justin Fields could be in trouble. And uh, I don't know. Just uh, kind of not trying to be all doom and gloom. But by far, that's the worst game I've ever seen Justin Fields play. And I went, ugh, that's really, really bad. Okay. Um, the Panthers beat the Lions 20-0 to zero on Sunday. And the story to me was the Panthers quarterback, P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker is a guy I love. He's a former, he was the star kind of MVP of the short-lived XFL league that I I was so in love with. P.J. Walker was the star of that league. He made his first ever NFL start in this game. And going into the game, you know, before watching, I've always kind of felt that it's possible P.J. Walker could be the future of the Carolina Panthers, where he's young enough, he's talented enough. In fact, I, I would say he's the most talented quarterback in Carolina. And there are three possibilities for the future of the Carolina Panthers at the quarterback position. It's not Teddy Bridgewater. I hate to say it. I love Teddy. He's, he's kind of a duct tape quarterback. He's a short-term answer. He's not your long-term franchise quarterback. Um, either PJ Walker continues to grow and eventually becomes the guy or the Panthers trade for somebody like Sam Darnold, maybe, or the Panthers draft a quarterback. So P.J. Walker, a trade or a draft. That's the potential future quarterbacks of the Carolina Panthers. Now, early on in this game against the Lions, I was not impressed with P.J. Walker. In the first half, the Panthers had a ton of screen passes. It really felt like they didn't trust him very much. Uh, and by the way, credit to the Panthers' defense. Their defense played a really good game. I know that Matthew Stafford had an injured thumb. I think he's got a torn ligament on his throwing thumb. But regardless, Carolina's defense, they've been better than people realize all year. They played very well again in this game. Now, P.J. Walker. um, In the first half, there was a key third and seven where he didn't see D.J. Moore wide open underneath. I was like, what are you doing? That's really frustrating. Uh, P.J. also had not one, but two interceptions in the red zone, one in the first half, one in the second half, where both were on third and goal. Uh, and where he was forcing throws into coverage. And really what that means, because they're on third and goal, it shows that he's got to do a better job not forcing the ball into coverage and trying to make something happen. Let the game come to him. Because the Panthers kind of, they left six points via two field goals. They missed, they could have had two field goals that they didn't have a chance to kick because P.J. Walker threw interceptions on third and goal where he should have thrown the ball away or just taken a sack or thrown the ball in the dirt. Live to see another down. And P.J. Walker on third and goal, not once but twice, was forcing the ball into coverage and passing up an opportunity to kick a field goal. Now, he got the ball into a red zone situation. That does show, hey, Carolina was moving the ball, but throwing interceptions, it's not good. Now, his best throw in the first half was a deep ball. Then the left sideline and D.J. Moore, I walked away going, ooh, boy, that's a great throw. Uh, Now, by the third quarter... It did feel like P.J. Walker finally settled in, where he put together a really good touchdown drive. 
Uh, his touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel was probably his best throw of the game. It was a great ball to the right corner of the end zone. And again, P.J. Walker is Carolina's most physically gifted quarterback. He was the XL MVP in that brief season early in 2020. And his ability to move around and run and extend plays, it gives P.J. an extra element to his game that I really like, that I think is needed in the NFL in 2020. So I walked away from this game feeling like I saw enough from P.J. Walker that I want to see more. I didn't go, oh, he's terrible, forget him. Uh, but it was an okay start. It wasn't great early on. He got stronger as the game continued. Uh, but I really, I'm not convinced either way. I look at P.J. Walker and go, it's one game, uh, rocky start, two interceptions, one touchdown. But hey, he got better as the game went on. And I'm really curious if P.J. Walker ever gets another shot to play again where, I mean, I, I'd love to watch him. I think P.J. Walker has more potential than a lot of people realize. And um, if he gets the ch- a chance to play again, I, I would watch. I think it'd be really, really fun. Uh, I want to kind of leave a tab here. P.J. Walker, there's some unfinished business. We need to do more analysis to figure out whether or not he could be a guy down the road. Uh, but right now, I'm just kind of going, eh, like I want to see more. I'm not really sold on him, but I'm not really done watching him either. That's kind of how I feel about P.J. Walker. I thought it was an interesting first performance, worth watching, worth seeing more. Not really worth making him the starting quarterback moving forward either, though. Now, Saints quarterback Taysom Hill made his first ever NFL start on Sunday. The Saints won 24-9. to They beat the Atlanta Falcons. Taysom Hill was 18 for 23 passing, 233 yards passing. He also ran 10 times for 49 yards and two touchdowns rushing. By the way, Taysom Hill should have had only four incompletions. He had five. Uh, should have only had four because Michael Thomas had a really bad drop. The ball just like hit him in the chest and bounced off, and I went... Michael Thomas, how do you not catch that pass? You're like one of the best receivers in the NFL. It's very weird. Um, Now, I'm not really sold on Taysom Hill yet, but I also don't need to be because he's got more games to play. Um, I am excited to keep watching him. His best throw was a play where he drifted left in the pocket, kept it alive, bought time, and threw the ball to Michael Thomas. I went, ooh, doggy. That's a great ball. It's a great throw. Uh, He had a bad decision on a second and goal play where He was lucky it wasn't intercepted. He had a wild completion where, I mean, he launched the ball deep and it just hung in the air like a punt. And the receiver was literally waiting for the ball to come down again, exactly like you would a punt. And it's, that's not a great throw. You don't complete a lot of those kind of throws where you just leave it way too long in the air. Uh, I don't, I, I just walked away feeling like, man, yeah, Taysom Hill, he knows the Saints offense very, very well. He moves around very well. He can run. Uh, Again, he runs the ball very, very well. He runs our system very, very well as as well. Um, And Taysom Hill makes good decisions. But is Taysom Hill the long-term answer after Drew Brees at quarterback for the Saints? It remains to be seen. It's only one game. I I have the luxury of not needing to make a decision right now. Um, Drew Brees is out at least three games with fractured ribs. Could be more. The three games he's guaranteed to miss are the Falcons, uh, the Broncos week 12, and the Falcons again in week 13. However many games Taysom Hill plays, I'll do a film analysis at the end of the run. Um, but I wish he played better opponents. I, I wish that, man, the Falcons twice and the Broncos. I mean, the Broncos defense is maybe okay. They're, they're solid. Um, but it's, it, I just, the Falcons twice. I really wish he played a better, more stronger team. Um, and I guess I walked away going, is Taysom Hill the long-term guy? 
I don't know. Time will tell. It, it's one game. Um, it's still the NFL, though. I mean, beating any team is impressive. And I thought Taysom Hill did a good job making good decisions. But for the most part, um, there's the narrative has got to continue here. Uh, and we'll see how Taysom Hill does the rest of his couple starts for the New Orleans Saints again. I don't think it'll be, I don't think there's anything catastrophically bad. I just don't think he also has an amazingly talented arm ability. I mean, I don't, I don't look at Taysom Hill and go, wow, look at that, that arm. I don't, I never felt that way. I feel like he's a, we reminded me a lot of Nick Mullins, actually, the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, where he's a good backup. He runs the offense very, very well. He's solid. He's not going to wow you. But we'll see if my opinion changes as time goes on in New Orleans. Okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Anthony Edwards, a guy. uh, Does he love basketball? We'll have fun with that. We'll do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, Final segment of the show. I want to start with this. Here's a weird story. Anthony Edwards was drafted with the number one overall pick in the NBA draft by the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, he gave a quote saying that he's not really that into basketball. And it's been misquoted a lot. Uh, I think a lot of people are, I don't, I, I don't really want to dive into the context of the clip and the quote he gave. I don't think it matters too much. I think a lot of people are just very quick to jump on this kid, Anthony Edwards, and say, He's an idiot. He's stupid. He hates basketball. Why would he be drafted number one overall? Um, and I think he was really trying to talk about how much he loves football and kind of, I think, outsmarting. He was kind of overthinking things and trying to be too cute and clever. Uh, and he's also been saying he's not huge into watching the NBA. I don't I don't know. A lot of people have come down with a hammer really hard on this guy, Anthony Edwards. And I just want to put it out there that it is a weird thing to say. I don't really know what he meant. Um, you know, the top pick in the NBA draft, you really probably shouldn't say you're not that into basketball. Uh, a lot of people are answering and, and kind of questioning their answer. They're, they're just they're questioning whether he loves basketball. And then they're not really asking him. I don't really care what he has to say or what he's done with his body of work. They're just kind of assuming for themselves he doesn't love basketball based on that quote. Um, it's a stupid quote to give. I, I agree. Uh, he never should have said it. There's no reason to cast doubt on yourself like he did. Uh, and I will say that saying out loud that he's not that into basketball, that means something. Either it's something he's been thinking about for a while or it doesn't make any sense to say that. So I I, I think, again, the quote was dumb. Never say that. Never admit that. Um, but I don't want to come down with the hammer as hard as some people have. I want to give Anthony Edwards a chance. Um does he love basketball? How can I know? I mean, I, I, I look, maybe I think a lot of people that know the NBA very, very deeply might know that better than I do because I don't, I've never watched Anthony Edwards play basketball. I don't know. But for me, my kind of clock starts now and I'm going to give Anthony Edwards a chance and see what happens. Um, I, I'm curious how his career goes. I don't know. How telling was that quote? Does he actually hate basketball? Does he love basketball? Does he really? Does he want to do the work and grind hard to win, or is he just going to be happy making a lot of money? I think a lot of people in the NBA, they're happy getting a nice paycheck. They don't want to grind. They're not Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, there's a reason why I love him in the NBA, is that he's not just there for a paycheck. Jimmy Butler will work his tail off trying to win. And uh, time will tell. I'm very interested. I don't know. Um, And I guess the question is, does Anthony Edwards really love basketball? I don't know. And in about four years, we'll know. <laughs> we'll have a, 
a good understanding whether he's the kind of guy who just wanted the money or he is actually truly trying to become uh, the best player he possibly can be. So I, I just wanted to – this is not a break. I don't put it out there, but it's interesting. It was curious and kind of weird. And uh, from now on, I'm going to pay closer attention to Anthony Edwards and try to understand who he is and why he feels and the need to say what he said. Now it's time for Ask Zach. Uh, it's my favorite part of the show. A short episode for Ask Zach today. I got a lot of questions for tomorrow on the next episode. Um, but I'm going to read some questions from the audience. How this works, in case you don't know, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if if you submit a question, I do not guarantee uh, to answer on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. And uh, I pick the top couple to read on this show. Uh, and the minute I end recording this episode, I'm going to put on Patreon. Hey, Thanksgiving episode. Send in your Thanksgiving topics. We'll record in the next episode all about Thanksgiving and answer any questions you guys have relating to Thanksgiving. Please send in your Thanksgiving questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, or ideas. Can't even talk. Uh, Harrison writes in. Harrison says, I noticed a few weeks ago that Terry Bradshaw had criticized Josh Allen for his completion percentage in a game. Bradshaw's career completion percentage is lower, but a big part of that is probably the era which he played. I want your thoughts on these two opinions. Probably controversial. Terry Bradshaw would not have been a pro bowler in today's NFL. Josh Allen will and should be this year. Thank you, Zach, for the great content. Uh, yeah, I think Josh Allen's playing phenomenal. I don't really care about Josh Allen in this context. For me, I'm interested in Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw would not work in today's NFL. Uh, Terry Bradshaw is a lot like, there's a quarterback named Brandon Silvers. He played at Troy. He played a little bit in the XFL for the Seattle uh, Dragons. I was actually, I was in locker room. I, I was very, very close to people who know Brandon Silvers very, very well. Uh, he didn't work very hard. He was very physically talented, but he liked to party and hang out. And uh, Terry Bradshaw was just a big dude. He's kind of similar to that where, there's no research. There's no preparation. Terry Bradshaw was just the biggest, strongest guy in the league uh, from the quarterback perspective. And so um, Terry Bradshaw would not have worked in today's NFL unless he developed a different set of habits regarding work ethic and preparation. Now, Terry Bradshaw was great on TV. I guess he still was. Wow. He is great on TV. I love Terry Bradshaw. I like watching Terry Bradshaw. He's got a big personality, uh, but he would not work in the 2020 NFL at all. Uh, he'd be probably a guy who would never make it past college and kind of wash up because he'd get a tryout and he wouldn't have enough attention to detail to make it. That's how far the league's evolved and changed. Uh, yeah. Now, Patty writes in, to be clear, his actual username is PattyNuts22. Uh, <laughs> he says, hey, Zach, just want to first say how big a fan I am of your podcasts and love seeing you succeed with all the hard work and care you put in. Great job. Thank you, Patty. Really appreciate it. Uh, my question is, what do you think the best throw you've ever seen by an NFL quarterback is? I might be biased as a Giants fan, but I have to say Eli Manning's throw to Mario Manningham in Super Bowl 46 is the best throw of all time. Would love to hear your thoughts as I know how much you love the QB position. Thanks for the great content and keep it up. Man, yeah, that throw to Mario Manningham was just a... So to be clear, what he's talking about is this throw down the left sideline. He just dropped it up and over into this tiny location like it was like a six-inch box he had to throw the ball into, basically the size of the football, perfectly into Mario Manningham's hands. And that really, I mean, that's a ball that people show on film, even in high school when I was watching. They go, 
high school, college, whatever, some level of football I was watching, they played that clip and said, this is a perfect throw, where they said, this is exactly what you need to do, throwing the ball up and over defender, just into that tiny window, leaving a great arc on the ball, letting it come down. Uh, Eli Manning did a thing with a football where it would go up and then it would turn down and the ball would come down like, I don't have football around me actually, it's over there, I'm not going to run across the room. But the nose of the ball would come up and down, and Eli Manning had a great deep ball. Uh, I, I, at some point, modeled my deep ball after Eli Manning's because he was such a good. He did such a good job of arcing the ball. A lot of guys, you see, the ball goes up, like it'll go up, and it'll never come down. Like the nose of the ball never turns down to the receiver. Eli Manning's ball always the nose came back down to the receiver. Amazing. Uh, what's the best throw I've ever seen by a quarterback? To me, it's another Super Bowl throw. Maybe it's funny. Like I wonder if my I, I think of the Super Bowl when I think of great throws, and I don't know if that's because I'm skewed or because I it's just this that maybe the moment means more. Um, but to me, Big Ben's throw in Super Bowl 43 against the Cardinals, I believe it was second and goal. It was a throw to uh, Santonio Holmes in the right corner where there's I, I remember vividly three Cardinal defenders right behind Santonio Holmes. This perfect throw, making Santonio Holmes stretch out, like just way out along the sideline, stretch out as he's falling down. He catches the ball, falls out of like, oh my gosh, what an amazing throw! Crazy precise. Also, just to have the the vision. I mean, the the forethought to say, I can throw the ball there, and my receiver will catch it. The even the understanding. It really, I think his that throw, in my opinion, evolved football where people went, oh. We can throw the ball where only our receiver can get it. Like this tight, crazy throw on a pinpoint on the sideline. Um, Big Ben evolved football with that throw, in my opinion. Kind of opening people's minds to how many more windows we could throw the ball into. It was literally a perfect throw. I mean, I really, I walked away going, Big Ben, that's amazing. And I, I just, that's one of my, that's personally my favorite throw I've ever seen. Where second goal, seconds left in the Super Bowl, on a dime, crazy throw into a tight window. Uh, and and really the understanding and the forethought to go, I can make that throw and throw my receiver open. And then an amazing catch by Santonio Holmes, keeping his feet in bounds. I just, oh my gosh, what a great throw. Um, now, Jill writes in, final question of that. I'm trying to be short with the questions. I want to try to do like three at the end of every, three or four at the end of every single episode. Jose, Jill, Jose writes in. Jose says, hey, Zach, do you think Mike McCarthy wasted most of Aaron Rodgers' career? The way he's been with the Cowboys and the way Aaron has been without him so far, seems like Aaron could have at least won another Super Bowl. What are your thoughts? My initial reaction, whether it's fair or not, my initial reaction was, didn't Aaron Rodgers waste his career? I mean, why did Aaron Rodgers stay in Green Bay? Or why didn't Aaron Rodgers say, fire this guy, get him out of here? I don't know. Um, I, I think Aaron Rodgers was frustrated with Mike McCarthy, and rightly so. Uh, Mike McCarthy doesn't appear to be a very good coach. Um, and, and then did, did Aaron Rodgers put up with dysfunction? Should he have fought harder to get rid of him? It's hard to say because if you call out a coach, you're viewed as kind of a, a guy that is hard to work with. I mean, I understand the, the tarnish on your legacy if you say, hey, Mike McCarthy's bad. Get him out of here. And, and maybe Aaron Rodgers is very passive. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know whether it's Aaron Rodgers' fault or Mike McCarthy's fault, but that situation definitely burned away good years of Aaron Rodgers' career where, I mean, I I will say, though, did it waste his career? No. Um, If tomorrow the Packers wake up and go, 
we're going to trade Aaron Rodgers. And let's say they trade Aaron Rodgers. The year ends tomorrow. They trade away Aaron Rodgers. They commit to uh, Jordan Love as their quarterback moving forward. Aaron Rodgers can still win his another Super Bowl. I think Aaron Rodgers has, especially as long as he has got a good roster around him, he's got five more years in the NFL, uh, quite honestly. I mean, I think that people don't realize Aaron Rodgers can still play at a high level. Uh, I think I, I tried a little bit too quickly to bail on him. I should not have. Uh, I made that video so stupid now. I said, like, Aaron Rodgers no longer an elite quarterback. I don't think he's elite, um, but people don't understand what elite means, and I, I think they misunderstand. So I don't think Aaron Rodgers is one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL still. He's still top five. He's still very, very good. And uh, give him the right team, even three years from now, I think give Aaron Rodgers the right team. He could win another Super Bowl. I'm curious if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay. I want to see that, quite frankly. I want to see Aaron Rodgers out. I want to see him on a different team uh, with a great roster around him. Uh, I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers in San Francisco or L.A. or I mean, imagine Sean McVay with Aaron Rodgers. Imagine Kyle Shanahan with Aaron Rodgers. Think about that. It'd be amazing. Imagine Aaron Rodgers going home to play for San Francisco. It'd be so cool to see. So... I don't know. I don't think that I think years were wasted of Aaron Rodgers' career, but it's also not too late. He still could win a lot more in the future. And uh I'm excited. I mean, I really I hope we see Aaron Rodgers leave Green Bay at some point. I want to see him win somewhere else. It'd be interesting, it'd be fun. I love quarterback movement, and uh we will see what happens. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I very much appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Happy Thanksgiving. I love you. I'll see you in episode 309. Have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam, we are done.